So this is episode three, uh, which we've already pre-recorded the content of, but we wanted to do some follow-up about our previous episode, episode two, which was all about JavaScript and your staunch defense of it. <laughs> Not staunch enough. Um, <laughs> so I didn't actually have anything to follow up on, but uh, you, have you got a couple of things you wanted to mention? Yeah, the first thing was that I didn't staunchly defend it enough. <laughs> I felt when I was listening back that I was a bit of a wet fish and just, just let you walk all over me. But I didn't. I didn't feel like that at all. I thought you made a few good points. Yeah. No. Not I, enough. I kind. Yeah. No. I kind of felt like uh, felt like I let let JavaScript down a little bit. But um, I do really like it, and I think it's very good. There we go. <laughs> well said. The main thing that I didn't defend enough was with the attack when we discussed the attack where the guy manipulated mm. a dependency. Yeah. And we were talking about how many dependencies you have in JavaScript. In NPM. So on a project, you'll have like 101 million dependencies, and then you don't know what you're depending on. And as I was re-listening, I was thinking, perhaps it's a victim of its own success. And actually, really, when you look at these dependency managers, you've got like, I, mean, I don't actually know the history of them. Do you know the history of them? But the, of all package managers? Yeah, I don't know. Like The Java ones feel like they're around the first ones. Yeah. But I don't know if that's true. What, was there anything before Maven? Yeah. And, but Ant didn't do dependency. That was just XML. That there you... was another thing, which I've now forgotten the name of, that attached to Ant. Oh. Ivy. Ivy. Oh, is Ivy the oldest one? Okay. I, I think there might be. There must be one before that. Yeah. But but basically, those ones are a bit clunky and difficult to use. And then in my opinion, Ruby Gems, and I, I don't, I'm not, I'm probably ignorant of quite a few of these different <laughs> dependency management systems, but Ruby Gems was pretty good. And then NPM obviously yoinked a lot of functionality from there and now it's even better i don't know whether there's anything specific about um javascript that means that you'll end up depending on so much other than it's easier to create packages because in an ideal world like we joked about is even and is odd yeah but like because maybe they're too simple but even the simplest function in i guess there is an argument to be made that it should be written once and then just reused everywhere maybe I don't know, but then it, yeah, I don't know. I think I think that I think you could. There's definitely an argument for that. I think whether those simple functions should be just built natively into like as a core library. Yeah. So like you know Java.util, right? Nobody nobody's editing that apart from Java, and you only get updates with that when you release a new version of the entire yeah framework or the entire binary, right? So yeah. So this was something else I was thinking of, which is that basically the reason one of the reasons that this is that npm and javascript is more susceptible to this is because it doesn't have a straw strong core library and a team running mm. that library which is good and bad because it means anybody can create npm packages which you can use and you're not reliant like if the go like go i think has quite strong core libraries and if they just start being rubbish then that's that i guess there will still be dependencies but everybody's using that stuff I'm not sure really, but it feels a little bit like it's easier to depend on things and they've made a great dependency management system. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, now that's totally not secure and we don't know what code we're running. But actually, if you made Maven really good, then maybe that would be a problem there as well. I don't know. but I think perhaps the main, cons- the main issue there perhaps is just that there's no, every package in NPM is classified as equal, right? And maybe there needs to be some sort of system where you say these are, Critical, yeah, yeah, and then any change has a lot stricter review 
policy or something. So then these sort of things can't happen. I mean, I'm not even sure that that package would have hit that definition. Maybe it would have done. I don't know how, you know, you could say if it's got over a thousand dependencies, it'd be cut. there's a different process or something. Yeah. It is interesting. And like NPM clearly, like I read the, uh, we put it in the show notes, but I read the like debrief from NPM of what happened and they took, they seem to take their responsibility quite seriously for deleting it and getting rid of it and fixing it, which implies that on some level they do care about stopping stuff like this from happening. But on another level, as far as I know, there's basically no controls whatsoever mm. as to who puts what in there. Like it's a, it's a strange, it's kind of like YouTube or Facebook, like, you've got users that are putting stuff into the system and if they put something that's like inappropriate or malicious in there, I mean, it's code's different because it can be malicious. You can't really put a malicious YouTube video up. You can put you can put something like inappropriate or horrible up but and then YouTube might take that down if it's like inappropriate. But they don't really... But I guess that's interesting, right? Because I, th- I actually think that's a really interesting comparison because I think originally YouTube were just like, well, we just provide the hosting service. We don't care. We don't judge what people upload. So then more recently, they've had to they've had to change, right? Because people, governments are putting pressure or yeah. potential regulationally pressure on them. So and advertisers, I think, yeah, and advertisers and all these things. So I wonder whether NPM eventually, whether in a few years there there will be some, it will somehow be different. It's inter- It's like an interesting like the problem like loosely phrased is like. Anybody can create a package and upload it and anybody can depend on that package. Yeah. And it's in when you're depending on packages, you should really go and look at like who made it. You should maybe go and look at the code. But the reality is you just can't. So there's an element of trust and that trust is blind. And like you say, there's one level of package, which is just like, like you may know that maybe Lodash is a legit thing. But this event stream thing is pretty legit. Like but, the, it, but the thing here, right, was just that the guy was like, I don't want to maintain it anymore. Yeah, yeah. And you can't protect against that because no. you're like, well, I know Dave and he, you know, you could even know the guy and be like, yeah, I'm happy to use that package. And then he goes, I'm not doing it anymore. And I've I've given it to this other guy and you know nothing about you. You're not going to immediately remove that dependency because it's not that easy, right? Because it could be three or four levels down your dependency tree. So the, the other, so the thing I thought about is that NPM is... I think Ruby Gems and Maven, because we were talking about the fact that it has signing, which is a complete pain in the butt, and I didn't say that enough at the time. But that's crazy. That GPG, did you say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, which is which is madness. Whereas NPM has actually made that easier because you just log in with a username yeah. and account, which has lowered the barrier to entry. But I think so, so. Something else I thought. So NPM is not. It's a bit unfair to single it out because I think Ruby Gems could also have had this problem or anything else. It's just that NPM is so widely used perhaps there's an argument that the open source community behind the packages in npm are a little bit fast and loose compared to say the java ones yeah. or the, but that's i would argue that's just because it's like a vibrant you kind of want that you want lots of people creating packages that you can use but then you have to decide which one's not to use and the tooling's not really there the other thing it made me think about is how big enterprises which i'm sure we've both worked at they have their own package management mirrors Mm. So they'll have their own Maven mirror, yeah. presumably these days their own NPM mirror. Yeah. And they will be picking which packages and which versions go in. So something like this, they should not have mirrored that version yes. if they were doing it right. Yeah. And then what it made me think was, has anybody created, um, and it's called an NPM package registry, but has anybody created one where a centralized set of people look at all the versions of the packages and say, hang on a minute, that doesn't seem legit. Like, what's yeah. going on? Or, like, 
we trust this person, but we don't trust that person? Or has anybody actually made an effort to like check for malicious code? I know GitHub has that new thing where, I don't know if you've seen it, but on some of my repos, I log in to the repo and it's like, whoa, you've got loads of packages which are bad. And it like, tells that, me, no. it like tells me, I wonder if, if anyone's done anything like that for NPM and th- whether this could have been spotted. But it feels like a new thing, but it, I haven't seen anything for any of them mm. that would solve it. So that was just, I just thought, it's an interesting problem. I actually think we got to the, the crux of the problem for me, actually. I think I think we mentioned in the in the episode is it's just the fast and looseness with the versioning, right? Oh, yeah. That doesn't so, help. Yeah. So, I mean, I agree. I think if you had that similar casualness with patch versions in any other in any of the other uh, package managers you could easily upgrade to a version you weren't aware had changed between builds or something it's, it's actually mad it's a really difficult problem because if you depend on 30 packages which I mean, which is a very low number when you get to when you think about transitive packages mm. it's probably hundreds or thousands imagine each of imagine how many unique github and npm accounts there are linked to those and so the security of your project and your dependencies is dependent on none of those accounts getting compromised. Yeah. And the number of accounts is like probably in the hundreds. And have they all got 2FA and have they... Yeah, exactly, right? Like you can look after that for yourself, but like, you know, like, you know, just because TJ or whatever he's called's account gets, you know, hacked, then all of a sudden you're like, oh, everything. I think sort of a registry or some sort of lag on the packages whilst they're... But it kind of makes sense for... It's something that NPM could maybe just do themselves and they can yeah. have a separate registry, which is like, look, this doesn't have everything in it, but it has stuff which we've sort of vetted or... So the that's interesting because that's like then how, how the Linux, main Linux uh, distributions work, right? Like CentOS and Ubuntu, they have their main repo and then they have like their extras or... I can't remember what they call it in CentOS. So you've got like your core ones and if you need extra stuff, you add that one in separately and they're tracked. They're not as monitored as... Um, aggressively yeah. as those core ones yeah and i think i think that would be quite good or whether you have like a a slower stream like a you know i don't stable and beta wouldn't be the right definitions but you could have more of a lower like you say a lagging one that that takes at least a month before it catches up or it feels like i don't know if enterprises are still maintaining their own repositories but it feels mad if they are if they're not if it feels like someone should just do this once mm. or do or i can understand actually that if you're one company and another company might have a preference about what isn't isn't acceptable but it feels like there should be a base repository that they should be pulling on from that has a base level of security applied and then they can further remove things yeah. from there yeah rather than just they, the i bet they will maintain it themselves though I'm yeah they won't yeah right yeah i bet you there is because they'll just be taking they'll be just taking in npm and then filtering i would imagine i told a friend of mine this idea today and he said that's a really good idea that sounds like the most boring thing yeah, in the way it does sound really dull it's like being starting that company, reviewing all JavaScript modules that you're going to add, <laughs> just like looking at all the diffs and being like, it's okay, and I trust this guy. But even if even if the first thing you're going to do is import React, right? Like, what? I wonder what its dependency tree is, or does it not have a lot of dependencies? I think deliberately it doesn't. That's good. It's my feeling, although now I need a fact check. <laughs> I think <laughs> yeah. a lot of like Lodash, I think, doesn't have any. Right. Or basically. so those would be easy ones to start with, right? Yeah, yeah. It's the ones that are more high level, though, where mm. all of a sudden it's depending on left pad. And I guess it's just, it's an interesting problem. It's like the idea of reusing software is like a very core good idea. But then if you reuse too much and it's someone else's, then you've so, got But the it's trust, trust trust alongside that, right? Yeah, you need trust too. Yeah. And that's really hard when you've got like minor patches. Yeah. Because something I don't think I stressed in the last one enough is that like, 
if you'd have locked in a specific number of this thing, then you wouldn't have been susceptible to the when the guy released yeah. a patch. Yeah. But if they if there'd have been a critical security flaw in the existing version and a good developer had released a minor patch with a security fix, you also then wouldn't have got that security fix. Yeah. So it's kind of like you, you there's literally nothing you can do unless you're reviewing these things all the time. I guess for enterprise, if if they're internal facing websites, those security flaws are going to make be less important. But yeah, for public facing websites, you know, in a big enterprise, you're going to want to get those as off, as often as possible, right? So yeah, yeah, I think it it is difficult. I I think you're right. I think I, I could see that Maven and those other ones would be could be as easily susceptible. They're just not, and perhaps it's interesting that the. The reasons for it not, perhaps they're just a bit less successful. Yeah. Or less easy to actually add packages in the first place. Or maybe the developers that add the packages are a different breed of developers. Yes, which is what I think we mentioned that in the yeah, episode. I think, right? I think it's a combination of those factors. Like, it's not quite successful. It's not as easy to do things. And then the developers are perhaps a little bit more sensible. Or they're more likely to be, like, found it. Like, Java does... I know I haven't been in Java's environment for at least three, four, five years. But when before it did not have a vibrant community like Ruby on Rails and where like a bloke maintains a thing, mm. it's more like the a Apache, team. yeah, a team or like, and then it's kind of more serious and you can, yeah. <laughs> I think that would do that. Yeah. So is, is that that were the those are the points? The only yeah, yeah, I think yeah, that's good. So something that you've had some experience at the moment with or experiencing at the moment is. Um, interviews for programmers. Yeah, so getting people hired. Yeah. Um, I'm going to let you decide where to take this. Yeah, so the reason that this has come up recently for me is I had a team of developers that I trained from scratch for like rough, on average, probably about two years. And they, I decided that I didn't want to do that anymore. So they've all had to go and find jobs. And I've been helping them find jobs for a couple of months whilst we were winding down the business. And um, it's been really interesting What as somebody with a... So all of these guys were trained on something which I guess resembles like a coding boot camp. They were trained, they were trained you know, in my image. So they're kind of by me, by this kind of course I wrote. And then they've kind of worked on the job for probably, like say on average, a year and a half. And now I'm watching them get jobs. And they don't have computer science degrees like I do. And we have seen some interesting hiring practices in the three people needed to get hired and I've been watching them. And I wanted to talk a little bit about what I've seen and see what you think about what you think a good hiring practice is and isn't and what we think employers should be doing. Because I think we've both hired people. Yep. Hired and firing, that's our... But no, so what we what have we seen? I have fired people too, unfortunately. Yeah, It's I not think very nice. I have... Um, so in terms of, by interesting, I assume you're being politically correct, um, do you mean bad? Yeah, some bad. Right. So, let's, let's just... We won't name names. Well, just, let's just start. start. I mean, I, 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 I'm not sure... Uh, yeah, it'd be interesting to hear what, what, what you So let me, let me tell you what I've seen. So I've seen... Some coding tests, a lot of coding tests. I haven't actually done that many coding tests, and coding tests from quite a big startup here in London. One of the one of the bigger ones. Most, if you're in London, you'll have probably, or in the UK, you'll have probably used their app. And they basically asked one of the guys that worked for me for to do a code test, which they said would take four hours. But I looked at it, and he looked at it, and we agreed. I think if I'd have done it, 
bearing in mind that he's sort of a junior to mid-level developer, I think for him it's probably 10 or 12 hours of work, and they said four, and I think I wouldn't have done it in less than eight. Wow. So it's a lot of work. It's like a full day, and it was like building two screens from their site. Um, so they're, they're a company that does uh, kind of... They they help you find out where you need to go. So kind of like Google Maps, you know, like when you when you want to take like a bus or a train, mm. that kind of thing. And they had this. They kind of what they've done is they've taken parts of their actual application, yeah. which looks beautiful because it's been properly designed. And they were like, "Please build this for us." What in a website? In a website, in like the text. So we use React and Redux, all of that tech. Um, Good code quality. They wanted tests. They wanted two screens. They didn't ask for too much functionality, to be fair. And they wanted the styling to be bang on what the, the picture of the real app looked like. So they wanted the styling, like, really good. Wow. And that and that was what they were asking for. They're quite a big one. And I'd imagine perhaps they're filtering on... But, but yeah, I, I wasn't overly impressed with that. That's a, lo- that's a, long, that's a long coding test. That's, yeah, that's too long. That's, yeah, it's too long is what... What we all felt and what I felt. How much? How much effort did he put into it in the end, or he just didn't do it? Uh, so he put about six to eight hours in, and I think they really wanted to hear that it took four. The, in what, the, they wanted him to lie that he didn't spend. They kind of do, which I find really strange. That they kind of say it should take four. What, what are you supposed to do? Turn up and say, "Oh, it took like fifteen, because then you sound like you're an idiot. But it clearly was going to take more than four. So I don't know whether they're expecting you to lie, or whether. They're expecting you to realise that it's more than four hours. Yeah, or they just... I or they don't have any idea. The thing is with hiring, that like I've been trying to explain to all these guys, is that there isn't necessarily a very good feedback loop because candidates are not going to be super honest with prospective employers because you're not going to go to an employer and go, this was really difficult and it took me much longer than you said because you're basically going to... You, you're going to feel like you're going to blow your chances of getting yeah. that job. So I don't know whether they just don't get the feedback of like, hang on a minute, guys, like... What he, and they, they also don't really have an incentive. Like it it kind of rules out people that can't be bothered. So I guess from there, if you're getting flooded with applications of sort of developers that aren't that good, mm. setting an impossibly long, difficult code test will find you the, the triers at the very least. Maybe the triers. The triers, the people that are really, you know, the keynotes, the yeah. people that are going to be really keen. So that's that's one thing we can talk a bit more about. I've seen... I've seen a couple of kind of more complex coding tasks done live. So I want to get this right. It's for quite a reputable consultancy company in London or the UK uh, who have quite a good reputation of having good developers. And they asked to implement something which evaluates things lazily. I can't remember the exact what it had to do right it was kind of a lazy evaluation problem which is you know like a kind of slightly computer science thing but given to someone without a computer science degree and they wanted to code it whilst they were watching him do it yeah um which i don't i think i'm okay with the task i think it there was like about 30 minutes to do it so quite tight yeah um which I don't, again, I'm not a massive fan of. Like, when you're programming in real life, how many times is there someone standing over you going, have you done it yet? Is it actually done? Like, sometimes, but it's pretty rare. Yeah, it's not a great environment if you're in somewhere where that is happening. And if you're junior, I think it depends on the type of 
person. We went through a university system which we did coding tests yeah. live. Um, we had about three hours and we sat, sat in a lab and did them. Yeah, isolated. Yeah, isolated. Yeah. So that was that's another thing I've seen. Um, I've seen random random language specific questions. Yeah, like to see if you know the language. Which version of Node did blah blah blah? <laughs> what? Yeah, so like asking specific. What 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 um, version of Node had the spread operator? Um, yeah, it's stuff like that. I well, that's saw, a ridiculous question. Yeah, it's ridiculous. I've seen. I'm trying to think what other questions. There's been a few like that. A few, because you know when you said JavaScript had loads of old features that are, you know, you wouldn't want to use. Yeah. They would ask really specific questions about the problems with the old JavaScript, which we'd never, no one in their right mind would use. Like the triple equals false null. Yeah, like random, like what happens in this case? Yeah. It's like, yeah. well, <laughs> no one's, you know, no. I'm trying to think of an exact example, but there have been a few like that where they've kind of asked things a couple of things they got asked i didn't know <laughs> so i was kind of like well and i don't know whether these companies they expect it's almost like trivia mm. kind of questions so I, i've seen a few of those i i do think there is some value in trivia questions because if somebody says if you if you said to me hi you know if i come to you and i say i want a job i'm richard i've worked with node for like three years i think you should be able to ask me a breadth of questions about node and i maybe i won't know them all but if I know none of You'll them... You'll get a sense of if you know them. Yeah. yeah and if I know none of them, that's probably a problem. Yeah. Because maybe a, what I'm saying is not true. Yeah. So I do kind of understand. It's not necessarily important whether they know specific answers. It's just important that they have familiarity with yeah, some yeah. of these things. Absolutely, yeah. But I don't... The problem is, is, I think for the junior guys, they they don't know where... And I keep saying to them, when someone asks a question, you don't know whether they're expecting you to know the answer or whether they're looking for a spread. But I think as the interviewee, you feel like you should know all the answers to all the questions, which maybe isn't true. I don't know. I don't know what you think. So the first thing is, in terms of asking questions, I think as an interviewer, you want to know how much they know. So to do that, you have to go... You you realistically have to get to a point where they don't know the answer to something. Agree. I I, I said this to... I completely agree. Because otherwise, you you know, if you're just asking them simple questions, everyone's going to know the simple ones and you don't know the difference between somebody who knows, who's Googled it and who actually has real-world experience. You have to break them down. Well, yeah, you have to get to the <laughs> point where you're like, I'm sorry, I don't know the answer to that. So yeah. if you're... You know, if I was doing it in KDB, it's very easy to get to that, you know, I could, off the top of my head, think of three or four questions. So if you've never done it before and just Google the around it, you're going to run out. Yeah, you're not yeah. going to know the answer, right? So there's that. Um, I think in terms of the coding tests, I think... So what we did when we were hiring is we used... I don't think it exists in a book, Codility. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, I think it does. Yeah. And um, basically an online... Uh, system where you can pick two or three questions it takes them approximately guess gives them an hour or an hour and a bit to answer those questions and you get to see you get to see the output and see and they get to run it against some tests basically and the nice thing about that was is they tended to be just generic sort of logic questions you could you could either have easy ones or difficult ones or a mix and match yeah um some and, of the hard questions on there are yeah hard yeah and i uh, yeah and i guess and, you know, I, we were hiring junior people as well. So it was more just to get a sense of, I guess, from that point of view, you're trying to see, can they, not necessarily can they code, because those 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 things are generic enough that they could probably look them up. It's just to get a sense of, it's to get a sense of formatting, layout, 
yeah. trying to see some sort of progress in their thinking. Yeah. Um, and I, th- I feel like that. I feel like you're going to get more, and that's why. Sorry, I also like the live testing to some degree as a as an interviewer, although we never did it. That that thing where you're watching them, because at least you get to see the way they're thinking, which is in some ways more important than how they actually code. Because you yeah. can teach them how to code better, but yeah. teaching people how to think logically about a problem is very hard. Yeah. And so, I I think if I was doing it again, I would focus more on maybe having a short online test with somebody. But yeah. by short, I mean you know thirty minutes. Um, and again, you've got to you've got to have a difficult enough question that some people aren't going to get it. Because you need to be able to say... Distinguish. Yeah, you need to be able to distinguish. Mm-hmm. But I would always say in those sort of questions, those sort of uh, live interviews that, look, you're not going to get to the end of this. Or, you know, we're not expecting you to get to the yeah. solution. I think I've seen a, a chronic like failure of a lot of these companies to really set expectations, especially mm. for junior people, like by saying things like, look, this this might seem pretty hard, but don't worry, just sort of... You just know, get, do, do as much as you can. Do your best or see how far you get and that's fine. We're not necessarily, you know... Because with this, with this one that I was talking about before, you, we had a lot of in-depth discussions, like maybe they don't expect you to finish it. Or yeah. Maybe if you just say, well, I got, you know, I did this and, you know, it wasn't... That one's difficult because it's open-ended. You can spend as much time on it as you want, so it's not capped, which will then mean that a candidate can spend 16 hours doing this thing. And that's the thing, and that's the the, the big problem with that is that it's open-ended. So it's like, well, you could have somebody spend three days on it and get something that looks good, but somebody could have spent four hours and got 80% of the way there, which yeah. is the better candidate. Yeah, so my... The, the, the latter for me. The guy I know is doing the la- is doing the latter, but I don't know how it's being perceived. Mm. So he, he 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 kind of takes his attitude of like you know my time isn't. I mean, if someone sent you a coding test and it said four, five, six, eight hours, but you felt it was going to take you twelve, sixteen hours to do a good job, are you doing it? No, no. But I I don't think I would I don't think I would do I, if if somebody sent me if it was a job interview and they were saying we need you to do a four hour coding test I'd say I won't do it mm. and I I mean what unless if, what if it was paid what if they said what if I said oh you know we're going to interview you or whatever and and they said oh Jas we'll, we'll pay you like a sensible day rate then I I mean then I would definitely consider it mainly because they you could pre- make a living well you're just doing <laughs> just going back just going around what's your career I interview for jobs yeah. yeah. But there's something really interesting about if they said they pay you, right? Because it means they value your time. Yeah, it's a different gesture. I, I actually think I'm in the same boat. I, th- I think... Because the problem is if you're saying, right, you want, you'd want you like to work for us, that's great. But we want to know how good you are, fine. But then we want... Assuming you're still working full time, we want you to take four hours or eight hours out of your yeah, busy life to do a potential... To do a test for us. And it's very self-centered. And the pro- the problem is with some of these bigger companies doing this is I think they're interviewing anyone and anyone. Yeah. And so they, got- they might not really have a HR department or the HR department isn't very good and they're just offloading it to the exactly. tech people. Yeah, exactly. Or vice versa, where their engineer's time's really valuable. So they're like, we'll just do a coding test. We'll put the burden on the candidate. Yeah. But again, it's not... One of the guys that works for me... He was he was making the point of if a company's like that and they're doing things like this when they want to hire you, is that a company you necessarily want to work for? Mm. And I I'm not sure. I think there is some. I think in general that sort of sounds sensible, but I think some hiring because the feedback loop is not great. 
I think companies which could be quite good to work for, their hiring might be a bit dodgy. Yeah. I think companies that are really switched on, like the Google and Facebooks of this world, they know they really understand that they are only the sum of their talent and and financial services companies in London. And so they often they do kind of have it together. I don't know, I'm saying that. A lot of interview experiences I've had haven't been great over the years, but I've heard I've heard you know, you hear reasonably bad things about things like Google as well, because whiteboard um exercises is the one. Yeah. But no, say. just in, in like the whole interview process, you've got these recruiter people who work directly for Google that would just screw you around and stuff because right. I guess they can because they're they they have a they have a different problem, right? The where they, they have a lot of people applying all the they, time. They need to ha- have a good filter yeah. to get the best candidates and find out who they are and that's i think with these long code tests we've seen it less from smaller startup companies but i think in general though code tests where you code a thing so i think it depends on seniority so you said you wouldn't do one unless maybe if you were paid because it shows you value in your time i think i'm pretty much in the same boat i think if and it's interesting i don't get asked i mean i probably apply for more jobs because i kind of freelance slash contract i'm you know, I'm, I'm perpetually unemployed, mm. effectively, like yeah. on and off. So you kind of, you know, you'll be getting new contracts and you it's kind of like, you know, getting new jobs all the time. And yeah, just don't get asked, actually, is what happens to me. Because you have a reputation and a CV and a set of companies you've already worked for and people just, and a degree from a good uni, hopefully. And then people sort of say, well, yeah, we assume you can do this. And I guess contracting as well, perhaps they say, and if you can't, then we'll fire you in two days. So it's kind yeah, of... Yeah, they have that. They have that get out clause. Right? Yeah, and you kind of go on reputation. When we were at the beginning of our careers, I don't know if you can remember, and we were applying to all those stupid investment bank websites. Mm. Do you think you'd have done it then? I think probably I would have. I don't know what you think. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Because you got less of a track record if someone said because those some do you remember you see those analytical reasoning tests yeah, for those yeah. oh, what a bunch of yeah. tripe that was yeah so maybe and those those forms often took two to three hours to fill in but I, I the, 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 but I think that's I think that's different because that was that was a generic that was a generic entry point right like we're yeah. talking if assuming here we're talking specifically around what well, we are talking about programmers specifically yeah yeah and I think my point to it would be. You don't you don't hire junior people unless you're willing to take somebody to take them under their wing and mentor them. At which point, if you're gonna if you're saying we want to hire junior people, you then have to have the people who are going to be mentoring having the time to interview them in the first place. Mm-hmm. Because taking in junior people is not a free it's not free it's not a free resource, right? Yeah. You're taking in junior people because okay, you don't you don't have to pay them as much, fine. Yeah. But you have there the the other side of that is that you have to spend time making them better. Yeah. And the only way you do that is by having senior people taking time out of their development to spend time with these guys. So there has been a lot of talk on Hacker News about how almost all companies don't want to hire junior. De- they what they want is senior developers all the time. Yeah. Then there's this chicken and egg problem where senior developers are mainly made out of junior developers that become senior. Yeah. Yeah. And so and it does feel watching these guys try and get hired, especially in London. There's a currently a debate we're having where in the smaller cities, actually, I think. It's perhaps there's speculation between them that it's actually a little bit easier, right. and that in London everybody wants senior, but for whatever reason, because uh, it's more competitive, I'm not sure. But but I think it, I think people don't want to put the effort into junior development. Yeah, well. I mean, it is hard. Uh, speaking firsthand, it is 
But, but you were taking in people with no experience. You t- you, we're, talking yeah, about, but, we're talking about taking in people with some, not a lot. But by the end, they were effectively in that place. And it was it's still, um, it's quite a full-on thing. I mean, it was, if I'd have, I think actually if I'd have just had one junior developer instead of four, perhaps. But assuming as well easy. that they're going into a team of, say, three or four people. Yeah, yeah. One, you, you, you know, you've got to say, we want to get somebody in. And between the four of us, we're going to spend, say, an hour each a week. If you have a good junior person and it's like a one-to-one ratio where a senior developer is buddied up with the junior and the junior is competent, like maybe they don't know everything today, but they're smart, I think it's completely fine. Mm. If they're not so smart and switched on, then it can be, we we have, well, maybe not all, but I'm sure many people have had that feeling where you get an intern at work and after like the end of the first week, the intern's there, you're like, you go home and you're like, why am I just so tired and I don't feel like I got anything done? And then yeah, you're like, yeah, yeah. it's because that bloody intern turned up and they've been asking me things all week. And I think... But that's what I mean. So you don't... That's the... Pro- I mean, that was the problem I always had with that sort of setup in uh, in my first place is that you're taking these guys in, but nobody really wants them. They just feel they have to take them. It's you, like, they had a rotation system, didn't they? Well, they had a summer interns that would come in for eight weeks and not really oh, do that, anything. And then, and then they have, yeah, when you graduated, you have the six month. But... To be fair, in both of my six-month placements as a graduate, both of the teams, you know, I got stuck in and they want, they were like, we, we've basically got you as like a full-time person. Yeah, so we, we need you to do this thing and learn how to do it. But there were definitely later on when I was in my permanent team there, they were like, oh, you know, they were basically passing these CVs around being like, who wants who wants a six-month six mm, person? And you're, like, you're like, well... We could have one, but it's like, well, don't let's not take one unless we actually know what we want to do. The the funny thing is when I think about my career and when I, and you, I'm sure yours as well, but the people that really took us under their wings and taught us things, you don't necessarily stick around with them that long. You know, my of my sort of eight year career and your eight year career, I think each of us maybe spent two or three years with the same people that yeah really got to benefit. And when you got better, they were like, oh, good, I'm benefit, and then you leave. And so it's almost—it's yeah, a strange, like paying it forwards kind of a service that these people are doing. But that even that company, let alone that person, might not reap the benefits of. So I can kind of understand why they. But if you're in a full time, I mean, if you're in a big organisation as a full time employee, the the benefit for you yourself personally, you know, that's it, not really that important, right? Like, you know, if you're taking a on a. A graduate person mm-hmm. as a full-time employee worried about things like reviews and stuff the fact that you have that person is going to be a positive they're never going to be like why have you taken that that full-time person and why are you looking after them and mentoring them that junior guy mm-hmm. i think that's always going to be a positive as for a company as a whole you could say well you know you've got a person who doesn't know anything plus you're then losing 20 percent of the person who does know the stuff time that person's time as well so the company as a whole is losing out but assuming you're in a big enough company, it should be able to swallow that that loss. Yeah, I think... But then, yeah, but you're right. There's nothing stopping you then saying, thanks, I've learned everything I need to learn here. Now I'm going to go and do this somewhere else, which is to some degree what I did. Yeah, um, me too. But that was more because that... But I think having left after I did, you know, like you were saying as well, that was more because you come in as the person, as the most junior person. Yeah. You then get better, but you're status in the team doesn't necessarily change yeah and that's yeah because you're always seen then as the as a junior guy and you're like well actually now i've you know i might have been in this particular role as long as some of you guys 
And so I know as much about this specific application as the rest of you. Yeah. I just don't know as much about the underlying technology, but I know I can get around here very, very quickly. Yeah. Um, so that, you know, the reason I left my first place, you know, we were big, where I first learned KDB, it was a big team of, say, 12 or 15 people. It's just, and then I left to join a team of two where I was the most senior person and a, a guy that didn't know any, that we, I had to train up. The reason I did that was because I, I was learning KDB, the language, but the actual application we were developing was very stable yeah. and 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 uh, well 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 set. There weren't anything. There wasn't anything major that we were doing. It was just sort of like, yeah, it exists. We're making fixes here and there, migrations here and there, nothing major. Whereas actually, I wanted to go away and do a lot of that core stuff myself. Yeah, where I could do by leaving. So I was like, well, I can't do that here. Even though you, even though I've learned how to do it all here by looking at what's been done, so I don't yeah. know. You know, it's... career progression is not particularly linear from junior to senior in DevOps. It feels like to me, it's kind of like you you start off and you're junior, 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 and then all of a sudden you get quite good. And I think sometimes it can happen quite quickly, and then you're worth quite a lot more to companies. I mean, it still takes time. There's still a bit of a lag whilst your pay increases, but I think in general it's kind of like. When I've been looking at jobs to kind of help them find jobs, the the difference there's like a big gap between a junior developer and a senior developer in wages. But getting from junior to senior actually doesn't take many years. There's maybe. no mid level developer. Mid level developer is you do see it mentioned. I've been looking, but it is it is kind of not really a thing. Mm-hmm. And I think actually that's just a nature of how it kind of works. You, you you just don't really maybe if you're a mid, it's kind of like adolescence in life. You are an adolescent, but not for very long. You're yeah, kind of yeah. a child for quite a while, and then you're an adult. And it's kind of the same with developers. There's a, this transition where you're kind of like junior, 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 mid, senior, senior, senior. It's mm-hmm. just kind of you're just mid for a tiny amount of time. I guess maybe maybe you shouldn't even really be talking about them as, as sort of junior and, and senior. It's it's more just you've got people who know the technology and then people who are learning the technology. And then at the point where you've learned, because there's two things, right? There's the technology that you're using, and then there's the actual specific application that you're working on, right? And you can learn what you can know one very well and the other not very well. I think there's a third. So I think there's those two, and I think there's probably a third thing, which is sort of general problem solving ability. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think that's the third thing. Yeah. And, um, which I think as a developer you need to be good at. Yes, and that is something which is interesting when you talk about self-taught people because or not self-taught but non-university i think that problem solving stuff there's not a lot written about it something that i'd really like to do one day is write a course of how to solve problems without really talking about specific programming languages it's something i've become aware of through teaching other people that i do like second nature but i can't even verbalize to them how i'm doing it i've tried to but I feel like I've done a pretty poor job on, on balance. But it is there is something. It's to do with taking bigger problems and breaking them into smaller problems that can eventually, like you have a problem which is you just think I can't solve that problem. And you think if I were to break it into three problems, what three problems might get me from A to B? And then you look at those problems and say, I've though of problem one, I think I, I know how to do that. Two, I know how to do that. Three seems difficult. And then you break that into more smaller problems until all of the problems are problems that you're quite comfortable you can solve. And then you just go and solve them all. But it's saying it like that makes it sound easy. But there's some choosing how to break up the problems is like something that feels more like an art than a science. It's kind of. 
And that's, you know, coming back to those other the interviews you're saying we're doing, that that's what they were testing, right? They were testing problem solving. Yeah, yeah. Verbal reasoning, um, that sort and, and mental arithmetic and all those things. They were so they were they were trying to get a sense of how do you solve problems because those things are in an abstract testable more than you know what you know do you, what do you know about programming language x i think some of the more time algorithmic style tests time bound so like you've got an hour the codility tests i think are more along those lines maybe you can get some code formatting but i i think it depends on the job and the type of person you want as to whether you want to test for that another type of testing so we've so so far we've got quite long coding test where they say build a website or the build the build the thing that you might build day to day there's kind of asking random questions like trivia mm. of like what version of node in 1994 <laughs> just yeah. those kind of questions there's timed code tests which are quite algorithmic yeah and then i think there's kind of what i would call whiteboardy computer sciencey stuff which some of the what are you thinking like um big o notation big o notation Write me an algorithm to sort, sort a binary tree, quick sort, that kind of I Jas is pulling a face for those for Philip. <laughs> <laughs> for Philip who's listening. Oh, I, listening. I think all of that's a waste of time. I think it depends on the job, yeah. but I broadly think it's also a waste of time. Yeah. Yeah. I think if you're maybe if you're Google and you're working on like something, yeah. I think about two percent of software engineering jobs involve those types of skills and for those two percent of jobs you should interview like that but so how many t- yeah it, because like I, i'm not sitting writing code thinking what is the big o notation of my list iterator you will two days a year yeah exactly but for me it's it's that classic thing of it's that classic case of over engineering yeah like when you're writing you're solving a problem initially you you prob- you don't need to optimize to the nth degree yeah. you need to get the thing working and then later down the line you go you know what this for some reason this this iteration is taking hours for to iterate over a, a list of a thousand you go, well that's clearly not right what the hell's going on here let's then, optimize and it. then you apply your big yeah. but okay. then you can just look it up and be like what, what's the problem here and then you go oh well maybe we should switch to searching rather than just iterating through the list and you go okay well let me just do a find and i'll find something I mean, that does i would argue that big o and sort of general optimization is not used that regularly but it does it does get used and i have oh i'm not i'm not saying it's completely pointless i'm saying for the like you said most of the time yeah you're not needing that so th- those skills i would say are used infrequently but are probably used in quite a lot of jobs but then stuff like there's stuff like um can you write the algorithm to insert into a binary, like an ordered binary yeah, tree, yeah. and then you need to rearrange all the nodes so that it's still ordered, and you need to write like a recursive algorithm to do it. Like I have been to an interview where I've been asked that. Yeah, I've, it's like ones like um, how do you find a, a loop in a yeah linked list or something like that. Yeah, like and you're just like that is different. That is like that is not an average programmer deals with that two days out of three hundred and sixty five. That is like most programmers have jobs where that's just not a thing yeah, that exactly. they're going to need to look at, yeah. like ever. Yeah. And there are, there's 2% of programmers in general who have jobs that sometimes may require that and probably still doesn't, you know, I doubt anyone has a job writing binary tree insertion algorithms daily. That yeah. just doesn't seem like a thing unless they're a computer, work in a computer science department. This reminds me of a story, actually. I did, a, I did an interview at um, a company, a hedge fund here in, in London and um, one of the questions I went in and they were like you've got to do this these questions I said fine and the first question was um, uh, f- 
for the a particular you know for a number tell uh, return the number of bits in the bit interpretation of this number that are one set to one so for like two it would be it, the the bits would be all zeros and one 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 so the answer is one yeah yeah um they were like write that and i was like okay but java had java ints have that as a built-in function and they were like no which is just bit num it's literally something like num num bits one or something yeah so i was like but obviously that's well why wouldn't i use that but they obviously had they got in a funny they got in a fuss about it because they were like why did you why did you use that and you're like well, because it's written and it's a library function why would you not yeah, use that yeah it's reliable but this but this is the problem right is that you'd be like you know it's contrived is the word yeah, I would use yeah, like yeah. they're basically creating they're basically making you fight with your hands tied behind your back to to stress you mentally which maybe is valid but, but it'd be like saying you know if if I interviewed somebody and they were like really really good but then I was like right how do you do a quick sort and they said I don't know and I'm like well please leave it's like it, it's not it's un- completely unfair it's bizarre uh, if i wanted to sort something i'm going to just google what's the you know i want a quick sort in java you're gonna you're gonna sort using the standard library which presumably uses yeah i mean whatever they decided was best and they're smarter than you so you're just like yeah does the list does list have a dot sort on it probably does does it yeah i mean well lodash has sort and sort by and yeah, so I think I, I know. Think I know Java has well, tree sets, so you can be like, I want every, I want all the keys to be in alphabetical order. Be a, yeah, they'll definitely be. And it's just like, and, that, and that's what I mean. But I guess that's more of a, perhaps a pragmatic way of programming and understanding programming for us. Where I think we touched on it earlier. You know, you don't need to necessarily understand how every single thing works. It's, I mean. And again, in a difference perhaps to me and you, I like sometimes to know how that stuff works. Yeah. But I'm not going to sit there reinventing the wheel every time because I like writing a quick sort function. You know, like some sometimes, for example, like yesterday I was writing some code and it really turned out I was trying to traverse a structure that wasn't like a list. It was more of like a graph. So it was like a, it was more like a tree or a kind of, you know, it was like an object with other nested objects that could be infinite levels deep in theory. Although realistically they're only of like three levels deep, but that's not, not the point. And I ended up writing like a recursive algorithm to like get what I wanted out of that and to like get the answer I wanted because that was like a neat way of solving those problem and that problem. And that particular problem was bespoke and I wasn't gonna, you know, it, the answer wasn't like merge sort or something. Yeah. It was like so I, I guess it kind of is helpful to have these tools in your arsenal. But then again, like I watched developers that did not have a formal computer science education and it was so rare for them to bump into these problems where all, yeah. all you really need is to know when you'll be and to know what you need to do next. You don't need to know the answer off the top of your head. You don't need to be just be able to go this Yeah, is it. you need to you need to understand that you don't know the solution. Yeah. And yeah. that there's and generally if something's particularly complicated you should always at least consider that there's an easier way of doing something because yeah. you're like this feels complicated. That's I mean that's I do a lot, that myself a lot. Sometimes I'll write something like this feels complicated, and but sometimes sometimes the the easy solution isn't there, so you have to write it in a more complicated manner to then look at it and go, oh yeah, now I can see what I've done, and now I can rewrite it. You know, rewriting, re analyzing, and rewriting your own code, I think is something that I do a lot. Yeah, I, I I'd never just write something. I rarely write something once if it's reasonably involved and go, well, that's it. Yeah, yeah. I will look at it and go, oh, yeah, I don't really like that. Especially if it's slightly tricky. Yeah, yeah. You end up looking at it. If it's easy, you write and you're like, yeah, yeah. And if it's hard, you write and you think, it doesn't look right. Mm. I've I've noticed actually from teaching other people that a really critical skill is knowing, is being able to detect 
when you've not done something right. Because if you don't know that you've, like, if you know in your heart of hearts and you look at it and you just you just feel that little bit of sadness in there, then you can improve. Maybe you don't know what you need to do, but you know that you're not doing it right. When you run out of that feeling, you're good. that's when you're not going to be able to get better. Mm. And like, I'm sure all of us run out. I'm sure there are other programmers that are way better than me and they would look at my code and they would get that little sinking feeling of like, Richard's like made a hash of this. And like, whereas I look at it, I go, that's beautiful. Mm. And so it's kind of like, the, the key skill that almost any junior mid-level programmer needs is to be able to see that when they're not doing things optimally. And then from there, you can start to think, what is it I'm doing it wrong? What is it I don't like? Or maybe maybe you just know you don't really like it. And three months later, you see someone else do it better. And you think, that is what I've been missing yeah. in my life. And then you do it better. But there's, when you don't know... Because I, I guess code review there would help a lot in an organisation, right? Yeah, yeah. You've got junior guys coming in. And again, you know, we do code reviews in, in our company now. And, and they're basically a waste of time. Because, no, you know... Well, they're not a waste of time, but there's a lot of code reviews where they just get sort of approved. People having a cursory glance. When you've got junior people in, you need people doing code reviews that are actually going to sit there and look at the code. You need to take them to town, yeah. Yeah, you need to be. You need to be brutal. Isn't the right word, but you need to be. You need to be verbose about your feedback. Yes. You need to be like, this is what I do not like about your code, and I, I'd maybe argue not commenting just in the code review, but actually going over and running through it with them interactively yeah. might be better, or maybe. Well, my preference would actually be to write them all down and then review the comments with them in person. Yeah. Rather than sort of having that really slow back and forth in the little reply yeah, in the co- comments. Yeah. yeah. But I think I think you have to be willing to do that. You've got to be willing to do that time to make these guys better. And I think that starts at the hiring point. I know we've come around, you know, quite, yeah, yeah. quite a long way around. But if you're not willing to spend the time hiring the right people... And the people who are going to be looking after them not being involved in the hiring, what's the point? Because, yeah. you know, if you're 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 the manager and I'm sat here developing and you go, hey, Jas, here's this guy we've hired, go nuts. I'll be like, who the hell, you know, this is the first I'm hearing of it. You want to know. I'll be like, well, who the hell have we hired? What? Yeah. Why am I, you know, I don't, you know, I don't know anything about him. You've decided he's quite good. I needed to have been involved to say, yeah. look, I can work with this guy and make him good and make him valuable to this company. Yeah, that buy-in's important. So I don't I, think you get that in a lot of places. Well, bigger places that you're just going to have a more centralised hiring. Well, I've been telling all of these guys that are looking for jobs that if it comes to the point where they're thinking about accepting an offer, if they can, they should try and meet every single person that they would work with directly yeah. before they accept. Because good idea. who you work with day to day can make a massive impact on your morale and your job Absolutely. It's massive. Absolutely. It's massive. If, if one person's like a bit of an arsehole, <laughs> it could be gay, you're just sat there, you come home and you're like, ugh. Dave yeah. was at it again today, you know. He really likes semicolon, no, whatever it is. But so I think we're not we're not fans of the computer science-y binary tree bollocks, basically. That's well, having part. having done it and then realized having studied them, yeah, we and then not not them not being a regular occurrence in our day-to-day programming lives, I think you have to be pragmatic about it and, and think what's the point asking about it. I interviewed at a place once where I knew they were going to ask me all that stuff. For, for a firm and I went to a kind of like a library not a library and I studied and made notes and basically revised uh, this was about three years into my career I basically revised binary trees I actually had to learn some new things that we didn't learn at university mm. so there's like this thing called red black 
trees or something. Yeah. yeah. I've heard of them. I didn't know. I, I made notes of them and I've now yeah. completely forgotten them. I had to learn extra things. And they did actually ask me like, like to write the insert algorithm and to write like... And it's just kind of like... Also, I mean, that's a fair point there. Writing writing code on a piece of paper. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, that's unacceptable in this I day and age. I don't know if I mind... Do you know what? I don't... Uh, it's got to be... I mean, it's got to be pseudocode at best. So there are some interview questions I really like. Um, Being written onto a piece of paper? Kind of, yeah, onto a whiteboard. So the, the one I like... That's... Uh, a whiteboard, perhaps more so than a piece of paper. A piece of paper is particularly yeah, yeah. unforgiving. It's yeah, like, yeah. oh, you screwed it up. One I really like is... Um... You ask someone to write... This sounds really stupid, but I saw a guy do it, like a programmer when I started my career that I quite respected. He was like a... He's quite... He's one of those programmers that at the time I was like, man, this guy's antisocial. And now I'm like, big props to this guy. <laughs> he used to like, basically be like, I'm not going to meetings. I'm just going to do code. I remember when we were using uh, dependency injection in Spring, he was like, I just have a file where I instantiate all my variables and pass them into one another. And now I think, but now I think if I was doing that stuff, that spring stuff so complicated, I think actually he was probably onto something because at that time we had like all these massive XML files oh, and we just yeah, spent like all day debugging them. And spring I think he, XML is not what it's about. And anymore. he was just like, nah. But anyway, he, I went to an interview of him and we were interviewing a candidate and he said, can you write a function? We were interviewing a job, but it doesn't really matter, where um, that takes an, an array of integers and returns the mean. So the average. That's it. Mm -hmm. And you would be surprised how many candidates that we interviewed got there, just got very confused or like made really like, it's not that if someone nails that question, it doesn't really tell you a lot. You're like, they probably should be able to write a function which returns the mean, like it's not that complicated. Mm. But if they balls it up, you're like... How are they ballsing that up? Just like different things. Like people not freak out. It. I think it's a bit of a mean question because it's almost quite simple. That's a good pun there. Well, oh, mean question. <laughs> it's an average question. No, it's, it's, it's a mean question, but it, it's... It, yeah, I don't, people... And then you can extend it and you can say, like, what happens? You know, like, can you think of any error cases? So uh, so it's interesting. I, I see what you mean about that. I just... Uh, just to interrupt you there, I thought... There was an interesting question we asked when we were interviewing our... I just remembered, it actually. We were interviewing in my old, old job. It's a big... The big team where I first learned KDB. We got these sort of young guys in who didn't know the language, so it was very hard to be Yeah, like, that's tough. Yeah. You know, so... so so. It'd be interesting to see what you thought about this question. We Somebody was like, let's ask a, a very open-ended question to see how they think. And the open-ended question was, um, if we... We will give you... Forget the language, it's all sort of pseudo-language. Mm -hmm. There is a there is a, a, a table of data, and we want you to tell us as much about this data set as you can. Mm -hmm. What sort of information would you be able to give us? Like tell us about this data set, right? That's interesting. So that is that is open ended. Yeah, so it's open ended. But the number of people that would not even be able to say like how many rows it had or how many columns it had. Oh, really? You know what I mean? Like, like just couple just, of just, sense. Just, you just start really basic. So people go in the deep end, being like, well, you know, you know, is there? A, can I do like averages of the? And we'd be like, well, how do you know how many? How do you know there are any number columns? Yeah. How do you know what columns are? How do you know how many rows there are? And it was, it was a slightly mean question because it open ended ones can be very difficult in an interview because obviously the interview is quite stressed. Yeah. So to give them something where you're actually expecting something quite easy can actually trip them up more than a difficult question. But it was interesting, again, from, like you're saying, seeing people not be able to start simple and just going straight to the most complicated yeah. solution. 
I think you, you often in interviews you get signals which are you, you almost have like I don't know if this is true I'll say it and then we can we can <laughs> review what my thought but you almost have like two different signals one is just a big nope where someone does something yeah and you think oh that was not good and then there's kind of like a yeah oh, okay yeah fair enough and I think really mm-hmm. someone that gets for an interview is a big part of it is just they have no nopes or very few nopes and just enough kind of yeah that was sensible and that's kind of, that's kind of it really but you do see people like but and that bar changes depending on how senior the person's supposed to be as well right yes so more junior you'd be like yeah that's not right but we can you know we can I mean the other part of an interview I guess is for them to give an answer and you to suggest why it isn't correct like I I would I hate interviews where so they give an answer and the the interview or I gave an answer and the interview to go yeah okay Mm, you kind of want to see them go, oh, yeah, no, I agree, yeah. Yeah, either, yes, I yeah, agree, or I don't yeah. agree, I and this is the reason. Because I think, otherwise, no one really knows what's going on at that point. Yeah. They can't, it's, I think there's quite a lot of responsibility as the interviewer Yeah, to to really not... And I think the more junior the person is, like, you know, we were going into an interview, and you've got that confidence from having a lot of time, having a lot of jobs, and you... You know, if, if the if if the interviewer isn't the best behaved and they don't make you feel that way, you'll probably just get over it. Mm. But like I think for I noticed with these junior guys, that they lack take it of quite fi- yeah yeah they take it personally and the lack of uh, the lack of you know you you don't know what they're thinking. Like when I interview people, I mean maybe this is just me being a bit of a dick, but when I interview people, like you said earlier on, I you know I interviewed some people recently for Node, and I just asked them questions until I felt that they couldn't answer them anymore. Mm. And I just started off quite simple and just got more and more complicated till the fact that it was like quite obscure, really difficult things or things I thought they wouldn't know. Mm. And in the end, they didn't know. But I just wanted to know where they were at. It wasn't like me saying, you're rubbish because you don't know this super obscure thing. It's just like, wanted to see if I was sitting opposite, you know... Like, actually know. one of the authors yeah 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 exactly right like yeah the one the, the guy that wrote javascript or like a face you know an ex-facebook employee or something that yeah, like yeah. knows all this stuff and it's like you just want to know kind of where, where the failure point is yeah and i yeah. think that's kind of but it's not necessarily like a you know you got some you didn't know some things and i think how people handle that as well sort of saying i'm sorry i, I don't know i would maybe guess it's this or i would yeah. look it up here or i would whatever it is but I think I think as a developer you can never assume I think anyone who thinks they know everything about a language oh, yeah. is inherently wrong. Yeah. So, you know, or anything everything about anything <laughs> kind of well, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, but as in, you know, in this particular space. Yeah. If you get a guy coming in being ridiculously cocky being like, you know, I I've done this for 10 years, I know everything there is to know about it. It's like, well, realistically we're going to now have to test that <laughs> so someone yeah exactly so someone so one of my guys got asked i think there have been two interview questions that my guys have been asked i didn't know the answers to and they're like junior mm. and i'm supposed to be senior in inverted commas and it's like well if, you know they come back and i'm like well i i genuinely don't know the answer to that one i would have to have looked it up and but again i think part of that like you said, is is how do you react to not knowing? Yeah, because yeah. a lot of people panic when yeah, they don't yeah. know and just just make up crap. It's easier said than done, but never panic. Is yeah, the, is the key. Like you, you need to. I think if you have that confidence and self worth that, like you do know what you're doing, and if someone asks you a question you don't know, then perhaps there's a reason for that. Is kind of how I feel. Like maybe maybe one option is that it's a stupid question. Mm-hmm. Like some of the questions that my guys got asked that I didn't know was because it was a stupid question. And they were like, they were kind of like saying like, 
what how does this thing work in like some javascript feature that you should never use because it's like really dangerous and it's like well i don't know because what was it like I, using I, a val or something yeah like oh, i can't remember what it was there was like some there've been some weird like low level strange things that we just never come across and we've been working five developers across like four projects for a couple of years and we've just never seen these things yeah. and, you know we've used the stack loads and it's kind of like but it, so i think the whiteboardy computer science stuff unless there's a specific need for that job. And I can see there maybe sometimes will be. I can see if you're building something like Redis or if you're building yeah. you're building probably the KDB core team, the way they would interview you would yeah. be very different from the way we would because I'm guessing it's proper rocket science. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, think, there'll be a lot to it, yeah, for sure. I think um, trivia questions, I kind of stand by to just get a sense that someone... It's not sort of telling fibs on their CV, and they're kind so that of, is by trivia you mean like like language feature questions, almost or, facts, yeah, yeah, like whatever it's about. Like you know, they say they know Lodash, and you'll be like, you know, name three functions you might use in Lodash, yeah. just to sort of check that you're not really, you're not like that guy's a genius because he knows about like map reduce and filter, yeah, but you're yeah. thinking, you know, that they they they're clearly not like you know, BSing me. Yeah. So I think that's probably fair, but if you start asking really obscure questions and then judging a candidate based on that, that's perhaps... I mean, it depends, again, if you're hiring someone who is to be your node expert. Yeah, yeah, then you're well thing. within your rights to do But that. if you're hiring someone to, like... Most programming jobs are not that. They're, like, business person wants X to happen mm. and they need to get it done. They don't necessarily need to... They can Google anything. And, st- and that's another reason why these interviews are a bit unrealistic because all program we're all good it's, it's not a secret you know? yeah yeah everybody you're always going to look stuff up you we're looking stuff up I mean I don't I, mean, I don't know if you're still tr- still tracking your Google searches but we we're, <laughs> we're, we're I'm probably we're probably benching like a hundred a day when we're programming I'm guessing most developers are yeah. stack overflow yeah we're I mean always particularly if I'm in Java or like playing around with C++ you know I'm Googling all the time because it gets the job done. Yeah, that's how. Somebody else has had the problem before me. Yeah, you're not going to solve it yourself. You're just going to read what you know they said. And sometimes it's like complicated things that you would take out days to figure out. So I think the code tests. So the the timed code tests. I'm not sure how I feel about. So like a half an hour or an hour. Mm. I think they can. I think they do tell you more about problem solving if that's important to you. But they, yeah. they will disadvantage people that are either bad with time pressure or not used to it. Yeah. We have a background where we're probably quite good with that. We, we There's like, what's the word? Like, not confirmation bias, but the fact that we got into university by taking a buttload of exams, then passed university by taking a buttload more exams. Yeah. And then whilst at university had coding tests, which were under times, means that if you give us a coding test, we're probably not, we, haven't, we don't do it every day, but you... You, we're probably either just we were built to be that way before. Pre- well, by the by 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 the fact that you've got through all of that. Yeah, yeah. That's implying some behaviours yeah. in yourself. Right? Yeah. yeah, and I mean maybe the practice has helped a bit, but it's probably as much that you were just that type of person. Yeah, because you've managed to get through all that stuff. So I, I don't. I think that can be. I guess it depends how selective you want to be. Maybe I think it depends. I think I think the biggest issue, the biggest thing here, really, is that you're saying well. Someone who's coming in as a web developer versus someone who's coming in as a low-level backend developer, mm-hmm. you know, I think you're going to have to vary yes. what you do. And I think on the web developer side, particularly some of the ways that interviews used to be, hey, used to or have traditionally been done for technology, I think there's definitely scope there to improve them and modernize them because a lot of 
a lot of what you're doing on the website isn't necessarily like like knowing a binary search tree. I, I can't see how that someone as a web developer, the likelihood of coming up with that is even less likely than yeah, somebody working low level back end. I don't think many web developers get that. But the but web developer's been blurred. Like I'm sort of a web developer, a full stack developer or whatever you want to call it. And it's all kind of proper now anyway. It used mm. to be more seen as a lesser thing, but I don't think that's really true. Well, no, it's more the problems you're solving with that technology, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, it's not going to come up. Well, that's what I mean. Regardless of the actual language, if you're developing a website, you know, I would imagine even less often than somebody working on some low-level C thing, you're not going to come up against a lot of those problems that we got, or a lot of the things we got taught, because there's a solution out there already and that will work. From a, yeah. And the time to actually consider those things is when is at the point where you're saying, right, we need to have an optimization phase here. Yeah, um, later. Make it later. work, make it neat, make it fast. I can't, it's not make it neat. But like there's something in the middle. Oh, I think that, yeah, making it work and it not be a dog is a start. It's fine. And then you go, right, now we need this to be the absolute quickest yeah, thing we've yeah. ever seen. And you go, right, well, that'll take another three months. Yeah. More than the month it took to develop the original version or something. So the only other one we have, the jury's still out on for me is is code tests yeah. where they're doing a thing which is like the job that they'll be doing. Which I, Well, I, that feels a little bit like free work. Yes, and it, that's the thing. I think it depends on the length. Mm. I, I had an interview once, which I think was one of the best interviews I've ever had for a contractor. Of, of, I think it was like a fund. And they they wanted me to do Angular. Yeah. And they said, they sat me in a room with a computer that basically had more or less free access to the internet. And it had like Node and whatever installed on it already. And they said that there's some stuff installed. If you need more stuff, go nuts. There's not really any rules. There's this thing called To Do MVC. Have you, which yeah, is, um, I've heard of it. Yeah, it's like a it's like a to do app that when you build a new library like React or Angular or Ember or Preact or whatever it is, Vue.js, jQuery, the it's the stock application that you build to prove and say this is how I built it, and it's just a to do list with checkboxes and you can check them off. Right, and then they like get crossed out and disappear. And they said, what we want you to do is to build to do MVC, and here's like a they they'd actually written a spec for to do MVC, but I'd already seen it in the past. And they said, just build some features. You don't necessarily need to get to the end. And then they had a remote um, like session where they could watch me. And they weren't in the room with me, but they could watch. And they just checked in. And I think they were just checking in to check that I didn't just download to do MVC from somewhere, <laughs> yeah, which is yeah, fair yeah. enough. And then, so I started building it for about an hour and a half. And after an hour and a half, the guy came in and he was like, or they came in every half an hour or so. And after an hour and a half, he was like, you've built enough. Yeah, We can see where this is going and it's it's going towards a finish to do MVC. Yeah. But it's just gonna take like another hour or two. Yeah. Fine. Come and answer some more questions about some other stuff. And I think that's probably the best interview because it was like it it was very applicable to the sort of work I'd be doing for them. There wasn't time pressure and they were very sensible about like, look, you can't spend eight hours building a to do MVC. We we can see in the spirit of you know, yeah. you've built some stuff. It's not finished. Whereas I think the thing with this other one we were talking about earlier on is, you know, getting them to perfectly do the CSS. I know that they may need that, but I think there's just no kind of give or take. I think if they paid you, if that's what they want, yeah, then I think if they pay you, it's okay. Because like getting perfect layout of a website is not is not a skill. It's, it's just there is a skill to it to a degree. There but, is a bit, but not. But a lot of it is just you've got to you've just got to spend the time and, why, and error. But yeah. why would you? 
you know, you're not going to hire somebody being like, look, this guy can only take an hour to lay out the CSS yeah. rather than two hours. It's like, well, unless you're going to have a guy only doing CSS. It's, it's a lower skill part of that job, in my opinion. And it's if they can do the rest of it, Actually, I think that's not true. From some of the guys yeah. that work for me, some of them are definitely better than at that, that particular thing than others. And they and we have talked about the fact that they need to get better at doing those things. And and they, I think they just they take your view to CSS. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. kind of this isn't proper programming. So I think it. But yeah, but I think you have to. I mean, unless you're going to start, unless you get to the point down the line where you say, well, we have JavaScript developers and then layout. People, people but, uh, which I don't think you're ever going to get to. Then you've you've got to you've got to I think as a web developer take on the chin that you're going to have to do HTML and CSS. So one thing that I have thought from watching my team go and get in jobs that would be amazing is if you could do a coding test like one of these long ones, like a four or eight out one, and somehow verify that you did it and it was given to you, and then you replied within a certain time, and I don't know, like so prove that it was you. But you just do it once, and then anybody that wants to check can just say, "Oh, we saw Jas did this thing. Like, here it is. We know that we know that he did it, and it looks good." Because what they're doing is kind of the same thing, but like three or four times each. So they so they'll get asked by one company, "Can you do this code test?" And another company will ask, "Oh, I get what you're saying. A slightly different, but basically the same technology." Yeah. So and that so interesting there then is um, open sourcing libraries, right? Basically, does that for you. Yeah. If you're open sourcing software, you can basically say, if you want to see how I write code, go and look here. I think as an app dev, though, that's tricky. And when if you most... I'm not saying it's it's feasible, but that yeah, is a way of doing it, right? I think it's hard because a lot of programmers get paid to write code, which is effectively closed source, and your employer... I think it's fair game. I mean, I, I, I don't know what the technical rules are. I, th- I mean, I've always said... If someone wants to go on Skype or Hangouts and do a screen share and look through some code, that's different to you sending them the code realistically and i think that's kind of okay so if they want to see some code you've written oh see yeah you just yeah. screen share and say look this is what i'm working on here's a project i'm doing I, I i guess technically that's probably not allowed in a lot of jobs but i i don't see much blowback in most jobs because realistically they're not going to screen grab and reconstruct all the code and if you don't show them all the files they've only got yeah it's, it's it seems unlikely it seems it? unlikely and i think it depends like if you work for like um, a financial institution they're probably not going to be cool with that still but like like a much bigger company, but yeah. small mid companies, it's kind of like that's not. That's actually not a bad idea. Yeah, it's kind of like a way around it because, like, because they're very keen on like, what have you open sourced? A lot of these, I guess, proving that it's your code and not just um, somebody yeah. else's. That's a tif- yeah. That's another difficult thing, and the 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 time between getting given the exercise and returning it is part of that because, yeah. in the worst case, you can have outsourced it to someone else to do. I, I to be honest, I think I think. As we're talking about it, I'm feeling like leaning towards getting, you know, getting somebody in for a short, a shortish period of time, interact, either sitting with them or watching them remotely doing a relatively simple coding problem, I think has got to be the right way to go. One of my guys, they were working, they were working on a product in like the technology that he already uses. They got him in for an interview and they just pair programmed on the project for like two hours. I think that's also pretty fine. Yeah, that's nice. That's pretty You're nice. getting free work out of them though. Still getting free work. I, I do have a problem with that. I, I do too. I think when you're more, ju- I think it's a beggars can't be choosers scenario yeah. when you're junior. Yeah. I think when you're at our level, like, like, especially I have a billable daily rate. Like, if someone asked me to effectively do four hours of work for them, I can very directly tie, tie yeah. an amount of dollars or pounds to that. And yeah. it's like... You can't, you can't be doing it. I mean, even for junior people, like, you've got to take it... 
I appreciate them getting them in, and it probably is the, an effective way. But at the end of the day, you're you're basically getting free labour, and I think you have to be wary of the ethics of that. I think I think I think if I was hiring, I think I would be I would really like to pay people to. I I think I think paying them for a day or two days to do some stuff for you, like in, see that's not a bad idea, right? Because you could be like, I actually have this I have this problem that's isolated. Let's get five people to solve it, and whichever one we like the best, we then give a second interview to, or something. Yeah, you're going to spend a bit of cash, but you're not disrespecting anybody's time. It's well, you're not, you're fair not, yeah, and you're not necessarily going to pay them a, their normal rate, right? You could just give them like a, you know, a fifty pounds or something for the effort of doing that, spending four hours on it. Even yeah, even a token, even if it's half rate, yeah, it's kind of meeting him in the middle, and it's it's a big gesture to to even get halfway to a sensible rate. You know, if you pay them like sort of 200 quid a day or something, mm. that's kind of, you know, that's something, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. And then there's an appreciation there between... I do like those kind of tests, though, because they are... It's like if you're hiring someone to be a barista and make coffee, and they said that they could make coffee, I'd probably want them to make me a coffee. And yeah. I feel like these interviews are kind of like that. They're very directly related to the job that you're going to be doing. You can... And getting them in fixes a lot of those issues of who's actually doing this, right? Yeah, you know, with those other suggestions that you've made, there's always that risk that it could be not Just, them, yeah, not their else. code that they're showing, or not they've got somebody else to do it. You get them in, you watch them, yeah, and I, and you say, right, we've got an hour together, let's do something, it, whichever way it is, and you see the output. If you like it, you carry on. If you don't, you go look. We don't think you're suitable, yeah. and you're not taking up days and days of their time, you know, hours and hours of their time. You're taking up an hour of your time, an hour of their time, maybe two hours if you want to then take them to the next stage. And then, you know, you can make a decision in that session, hopefully, that you'd be like, we could hire this person. Yeah. Not, oh, we'll have to get you back because you need to meet every other person. You're like, let's let's have it where the offer gets made and then if you want to accept it, you can come in and meet everybody and then we're done. Yeah, so I think I'd... Not a lot of back and forth. I think I would do... I think I would do that. And I think I would probably ask them a few like almost trivia questions mm. just to check that they know. Although to be honest, if you sit and watch them do the thing, there's maybe no need. Like, do you know React? Or I just watched you program React for like two hours. Yeah. I think you do. So I think yeah. we're good here. So it's kind of like, I'd probably ask them a few like questions, but not, nothing too serious. And maybe depending on the role and the type of person I wanted, I might ask them some more generic problem solving yeah. stuff just, yeah, to, yeah. just to check out their smarts because programming is basically problem solving. And that is almost an ability which is separate from... Because I think there are programmers that can do stuff with a certain set of technologies, but their general problem-solving skills are a little bit weak still. Yeah. So I think I'd want that. Yeah. And I think I think that would probably do me. And then all the interpersonal regular, are they human beings? Do they wear flip-flops with socks? The sort of normal things that I'd want to check. The answer, obviously, yeah. is yes, for those of you listening. <laughs> Always wear flip-flops and socks together. <laughs> but yeah, are they normal? We've had some howlers over the years. We interviewed a guy at my old job, turned up for an interview in a leather jacket at a hedge fund. <laughs> Just in a leather jacket. <laughs> From our university as well. Oh, dear. With with um, long hair and it's a leather jacket. I don't mind that he has long hair and I don't mind that he wears leather jackets. But you would think for an interview... You've got to read the room. Yeah, you've got to read the room, exactly. Like, turned up to like this... Fancy office, <laughs> kind of. Yeah, it wasn't exactly a startup job. We've had a couple. Of, we they have in our, my current they've hired a couple of people that they've had that they have 
people who've interviewed him and said mm, we don't think he's a good fit they've hired him anyway and then had to get rid of them reasonably mm. soon afterwards have you had any howlers either hired or just interviewees that didn't make the cut but well you know we hired a, a in, basically an intern and I said to my boss um, we shouldn't hire this guy at all because I just don't think he's, he's suitable and they you know everyone else because we were only like there was only four of us everyone had a chat with him and they were like oh you know I think we should give him a chance mm. and I was like I don't think this is a good idea and they hired, we hired him what happened oh he was a waste of space yeah unfortunately I mean you know I spent a lot of time with him because I was I, you know we, we took him in and I was like look I'll have to make the effort because there's no point not because otherwise we all lose that because he's just going to sit there we're paying him and he's not going to do anything mm-hmm. so I gave him a chance but it just didn't work he out. just didn't he just didn't he just didn't really know anything about programming at all. Yeah. Um, you got to, I think we, I think there's always a temptation when you're hiring to, you want it to work out sometimes. And I think you have to be honest with yourself. If, if, if it feels wrong, you, yeah. Which is why I didn't want to hire him. I, I said, look, let's just wait. But you know, you get that sort of thing where you need somebody or you feel like you need somebody. Yeah. So you feel like you've got to make a decision. When it gets hard is when you've been hiring for a role for like six to eight weeks and you're sick and tired of it. Which, mm. And it is, it's draining to interview candidates all the time and you get you get sloppy and desperate. But we, but I would say of all this, some of the places I've worked, the, the, the job I had at a smaller finance company, they were very selective and they basically had a policy of everybody all the way had to say yes. And if one person said no, that maybe it would get vetoed. But I always felt like they would be like, you know what? There, there was just that mutual. It, it was in some ways it was bad because it was almost like an elitist club of like, we're all good enough and we've all then been selective to get in. So the new person has to be upheld to our collective standard. Yeah. And I think probably actually you lose a few candidates because they're unconventional and you've got, you know, a bunch of male stale yeah that's what I was going to say I mean that reasonably yeah it's something I wanted to I think I, I would like to talk about later on in the podcast is about that diversity issue that you're going to get or you do get in our in our industry um, perhaps you know back off the back of this and off the back of that right you know I assume you had majority male employees there yeah. majority potentially white oh yeah um, so yeah and I think we should we should talk about yeah. that another time so I think it, it can be but I think yeah, I think we solved it then. So cheeky cheeky actual code of what they'd be doing tests, but don't take too long. Yeah. Or like do an hour, an hour and a half and just be like, yeah, you kinda look like you know what you're doing. Or pay them and do longer if that's what you want. And then get them in or get them in to do that, even if you want, if you're gonna pay them and then get them in, ask them a few sort of technical questions and maybe do some problem solving yeah. and then check that they don't wear funny clothes or any other or that their I mean, communication is obviously a tremendously large part of software development even though we'd like to pretend it isn't and i think if you're small enough you want to get as many people in the company yes. to meet this person yeah it works both ways i yeah. think once you're like yes or once a core group of interviewers have a feeling of yes then any per- any person that that person's going to interface with yeah should pretty much meet them for both for both people so we so like, like i was in a t i was in a company of four right so if we're interviewing somebody and i go you've all got to meet them yeah exactly for sure and even up to maybe 10 or 15 you want yeah. the majority of people you're all going to highly likely to be in the same office you need to all be able to get along um and so yeah i think i think yeah the the, the personal interactions are obviously 
what make or break a company, particularly a small company. Mm. In a big company, you know, there's a lot. You can somehow be shielded from some of the bad stuff by if you've got a good core, if you've got a good team around you directly, the fact there's some idiots around you, you can sort of fact, you know. Invariably there are, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, in a big company, you're more likely to hire... You're more, there's a lot higher chance of having a lot of different type of people that you're not necessarily yeah. going to get on with. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think but, it's solved. But we're anti, and we're definitely anti computer science crappy. I just, I just, I, it, it sounds, it sounds, um, there'll be some people who'll be like, oh, well, that's ridiculous. Of course you've got to ask that. But really, I think you have to just sit back and say, realistically, how many times are you considering? Big O notation in your only, in your in your daily programming. The life. only time I think it's maybe there's a case to be made is that if you're hiring someone straight out of university that basically has no professional experience, then maybe the and they're and you're hiring computer science graduates, then maybe the only sensible thing to test them on is their university course. Yep, I agree with that. But you wouldn't. I don't know. You wouldn't. They don't. Most, most people in computer science courses will have done some programming, right? So yeah, you, you would focus that. more on. You know, you did Java. Okay, how much do you know about Java? Yeah. And up to what level are you comfortable? And it's always a strange subset of computer science. It's never like most computer science courses will involve a bit of maths. You'll never see maths. You'll never see mm. uh, like set theory. You'll never see like, you know, any other bits of computer science. It's just kind of like algorithmic and data structures. So what's actually re- a really interesting point you've just made there? I think we need to probably wrap up. But I actually find something that I do think is useful is set theory because if you think about like in terms of data storage collections it's quite interesting to think about things in terms of sets like in terms of unioning distincting intersections i'm not talking about advanced set theory here. i'm talking about basic set theory um but like operators that i think are really really powerful within kdb but then i would apply to other languages is thinking of sets and being like well I want to append, like, say you you want you have a a list and you want to add another element, but you only want to you want to only want a unique. Make sure each element's unique. That's yeah. what union does, right? Yeah. Or so, uh, or intersect, or yeah, maybe you get exposed to this a lot more than me because I I guess with databases there's a bit more of it just naturally yeah. in there. A little I guess bit. you think yeah, and I just think I mean they're. they're the, the reason I use them a lot is because they're quite low-level operators. So you end up using, like, except to take the elements out of lists. Yeah. So that's, like, whatever the equivalent is in set theory. I guess. There's something. There's yeah. Something. Um, and so I'm not saying, you know, advan- I'm not talking about advanced set theory at all, but it's just interesting. They, they never ask it. No, no, exactly. And they're I think low, actually, big o. you know, if you think about Java, the set interface there is actually quite interesting. It's quite useful. You know, you get like maps and stuff. You get entry sets and and things where you it's they're unordered blob, you know, unordered sets of information rather than lists, which have mm. an inherent order to them. Just mm. quite interesting. Yeah. Um, being able to do things like distinct. Just give me the distinct. Yeah, distinct useful. That's in SQL as well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a set thing. Right? That's a set theory thing. So that's our advice for Philip, anyway. So yeah. no, none of those types of questions. Yeah. Keep, keep it real and pay them, Philip, if you if you need to. Or give them a tax break. Or give them a tax break. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool. Well, we're ne- we've nearly hit the three-hour mark. Oh, <laughs> so I think we should stop. I am feeling tired. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Bye. Bye.